So before we really get started, uh, here's your first question. Who's your favorite superhero? Black Panther. Who? Batman. Black Panther. Did you say that because he's right there? Batman. 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 Grown-ups? Captain America's good. Who? Captain America. Okay. Iron Man. Dale. <laughs> Dale Sauce. Right on. That's my favorite superhero. Who else? Flash is good. Right. I didn't hear a single female superhero. What is wrong with you, sexist? Come on. Wonder Woman. All right. Black Widow. Okay. Good. Um, let's talk costuming. Let's talk costuming. Best superhero costume. Green Arrow. Green Arrow. It's like a hoodie. Come on. Black Panther. His is pretty killer. What? Yeah, a Robin. <laughs> huh? Hulk? Yeah. A little pair of cutoffs. Right on. Who's got the worst costume? Absolute worst costume. Robin. Yeah. Robin still again. Yeah, we'll go with that. Costumes are kind of funny though, because they serve you know they they serve multiple purposes. They got to be functional, right? So they got to be pretty tight. So you know they can't be tripping over them in the middle of a fight or something. So they got to be tight enough that you can do what you need to do. Um, so and maybe they've you've know, got a belt with some tools and weapons on it, or some reinforced forearms, you know, to block swords or whatever you got to do. Maybe some Kevlar in the vest or something, right? So that but they also serve another purpose. What's the? Can anybody think of the other purpose the costume has to serve? What? What? Right, hides their identity, right? And so, thinking of identity, hiding your true identity, who's got the, now who's got the absolute worst costume? And this is hard to say, because listen, here's a trick. If you want something philosophical to think about kids, are the kids, I mean, are the superheroes really super and their everyday persona is the costume, huh? Or, are they normal and the superhero costume is the costume? kind of depends on the superhero. But if we're talking about identity, who's got the worst costume for hiding their identity? Superman, <laughs> Superman. Superman right. You put on a pair of thick ring glasses, nobody has any clue who you are. That's, that's a good thing to take home with you. If, if you want to hide who you are, glasses does it every time. Yep. So, um, and this brings up something interesting about Iron Man, right? Because Iron Man, um, he has... Maybe the best costume uh, for for hiding his identity. You don't get to see any of his face. Even his voice is a little bit masked. And he's the one that comes out to the podium and goes, I am Iron Man. So he kind of ruins the whole norm of, of the superhero trying to hide his identity. Iron Man comes right out and shares it. Doesn't keep him separate at all. So, um, the, but if you've got two, if you've got a costume and your normal persona, you've got two identities, you need two what? Names, right? You gotta have two names. So who's got the worst superhero name? The worst. What? Flash. Flash is pretty rough. Huh? Ant Man. That was my. That's what I thought. Ant Man. Really? Yeah. Adam's pretty cool. I get Adam, but that's fairly lame. Okay. Well, kids, for you, just to catch you guys up real quick. Over the last few weeks, us grown-ups have been talking about two people. Okay, we've been talking about two people. The first one's name was Messiah. Okay, and he's this kind of superhero character that all the Jews were looking for. Pretty much everybody believed in him, and everybody was expecting him to come and save the day. He's kind of the superhero of Israel. Everybody is waiting 
for Messiah to come and save them. Okay, And so we've been talking about Messiah for the last couple of weeks. We've also been talking about another character named Jesus. Jesus came looking like a normal guy. Talking like a normal guy. Except for the fact that some of the stuff he did was pretty super. And some of the things that Jesus said were also pretty super. And so, uh, so we kind of have these two people that some people... And the other thing about Jesus is some people really liked him. And other people really didn't, which was also kind of superheroish. You guys know how every superhero movie has that one point at which everybody starts to wonder if maybe the superhero is not actually the bad guy, when the, when all the people kind of start to turn on him and and who is this vigilante that you know or whatever. Jesus kind of had that going on. Everybody was was kind of swarming around him, but some people were saying, no, this guy's actually the bad guy. So he he really kind of had the superhero thing happening. Well, in our passage tonight. I just wait. In our passage tonight, it's it's like that point in the movie. You guys know that point when when everybody is about to figure out who the superhero is, and and there's that real drama. Like the real drama of the movie becomes his identity is about to be revealed, and they're about to figure out the two identities. That's kind of what happens in our story tonight. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you, and you listen. Okay, I'll try to make it fast. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about the exodus, his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, the clouds overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as, a cloud, as the cloud covered them. Then the voice from he- the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. And they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So they walk up the mountain, Peter, James, and John, right? They're going up this mountain with normal old Jesus. Just looks like, a, like an average rabbi, maybe like a shepherd. And he's praying, and they've kind of dozed off a little bit. When they open their eyes, they see Messiah. And he looks just like Jesus, kind of like Clark Kent looks just like Superman, only there's something different now. He's glowing like a light bulb, basically. And so imagine Peter, James, and John in that speechless moment when they're like, but you were just, how could this, but that would mean, you know, that, that frozen moment when they're trying to put it together. And then Peter gets it. He totally gets it all of a sudden. And he's like, this is it. This is huge. This is what we're waiting for. That means Messiah is right here. Jesus and Messiah are the same person. This is it. Peter now knows who Messiah is, and this is everything. And this has to be what it's all about, right? Figuring it out. This has to be what it's about. But this brings up more questions. Why was Jesus hiding his true identity? Right? Kind of like, why did Superman ever work for the newspaper? That I've never understood. If you're Superman, why get a job? You know, why... Why do you have to have a job as Clark Kent anyway? If you're, you know, uh, Spider-Man, why take pictures? Any of those. 
but um, uh, but Jesus is hiding his identity, and this makes Peter confused because he can glow. Like when you can glow, it's pretty easy to tell everybody who you are, right? It's pretty. You're, you have to be kind of hiding on purpose. He obviously has some kind of connection to God because God comes and tells Peter exactly who this is. He says, "This is my son," which means would would mean this is the Messiah. And so this is everything. This is absolutely it. And Peter knows it. Now, before we continue with the story, I have one more quick survey. Best vacation destination. Favorite vacation place. Shout it out. Kids, where's the best place you've ever gone to? Arkansas? High, high bar. That's a high bar. Well done. We did cliff jump in Arkansas, so that, you know, it's hard to beat that. Where? Where? Disneyland. Disney, Disney's pretty hard to beat. We got the couch. Yeah, a staycation. Grown-ups, favorite favorite spot? Arizona. Really? No, thank you. Hawaii. Okay, you have to leave now. Um, Mega. Worlds of fun. Worlds of fun. Boo. Okay. So this is a this is a pretty easy crowd to please. Um, I have this uh, I have this bad habit whenever we vacation because I didn't grow up taking vacations and uh, I went on a couple hunting trips each year with my dad, a couple ski trips each year with my mom, but we didn't do the whole block out a full week. My dad was self-employed, so it was too complicated, and and so we never blocked out like a the full week to go somewhere else and vacation all week. And Esther did; her family took like two solid weeks of vacation every year, and it was super important to her. So when we got married, she wanted vacationing to be something that that we did, and so we. We started vacationing together, and I found, out, I found out that I absolutely love vacationing, sometimes too much, because I have this problem, this thing I do. And please tell me if anybody else does this. Every single town we vacation to, I absolutely, completely, and utterly fell in love with. Has this ever happened to anybody else? Um, where, wherever you go, you, you absolutely want to stay there? We took our first vacation to Holland, Michigan. And, um, and we took, well, we actually went all through Michigan, but we stopped for a couple days in Holland, Michigan. And we took our kids to the beach, and the beach was gorgeous, soft, white sand. And they had these, it was super uncrowded and calm and peaceful. Um, and the kids played in the sand. Uh, my oldest son hated getting dirty, and the sand completely freaked him out with his mind, so we had to leave him on a blanket because it felt dirty to him. But, um, but they also had these uh, sand volleyball nets, like a whole mess of them lined up. I think I, got, I found a picture online. Just like eight or ten of them all in a row, sand volleyball nets just stacked up. And they were all empty, um, but they kind of caught our attention. And at about four o'clock or so, um, we were leaving. I think we were going on like a flower, uh, this is like something from Holland, Michigan, like a flower or garden tour or something is what we had scheduled. And, uh, and people just started pouring into the beach, to the, uh, just filling up um, the volleyball nets, just hundreds of people just started filling them up. And we must have looked like puppies begging at the table or something because some total stranger was like, you guys want to play? And um, I turned to my wife and like with such desperation, like she didn't even hesitate to let me stay and play volleyball for... My sister lived for volleyball. She was she played in college and I grew up on Top Gun and looked exactly like Tom Cruise with my shirt off. So it was, it was perfect. And so we... Um, so Esther let us play. We stayed for several hours and played while she went on the flower tour. And she had a ball and she came back. And afterwards, when we got back to the hotel, I was like, this is it. This is the place. We are moving to Holland, Michigan. Everyone's nicer here. 
The, everyone in town obviously plays beach volleyball every night, which is amazing. My wife is even nicer to me in Holland, Michigan. This is amazing. This is like, we're moving here. And, uh, and, uh, and pretty soon, I found out that this was everywhere we went. When we went to Colorado, I, was ready, I, I looked at house prices in Colorado. I was ready to move to Colorado. When we, we went to Bennett Springs, um, and, and I looked for jobs in Bennett Springs while we were there. When Esther and I went to Chicago, I could totally see myself as a big city guy. I was, we're going to stay here. Then we went to Florida. We, no, it didn't happen in Florida. Florida was terrible. Like, great vacation. I, we got there and the carpet looked like, I mean, the grass looked like carpet. It was gorgeous. And it was plush and green. And I, I was, I wanted to feel it on my feet. And I took my shoes off, took one step in, and locals were like, what are you doing? Are you trying to get carried off by fire ants? You don't touch the grass here. I was like, what? They're like, there's things that eat you here. You don't go in the grass. And I was like, what is this place? This is terrible. But, so everywhere but Florida, I wanted to move there. I, I would absolutely fall in love and say, this is it. This is the place to be. And I tell you that story tonight because that is exactly what Peter does in our story. Peter sees Jesus shining in all of his glory. And he says, this is it. Right here. Why should we ever leave here? In fact, what Peter actually says is, we should build houses right here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and just stay here because this is it. This is the place. And don't we all have this tendency at times? Whenever God does something huge in our lives, we have the tendency to just say, stop and say, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is, this, right here on this mountain, is where I should be forever. Has anybody ever felt that, that valley that's on the other side of a mountaintop that you really didn't see coming? Anybody ever felt that? Don't leave me up here by myself. Yeah, right? And, and we're kind of stuck on the, in the valley when we want to be on the Messiah. We've been talking for the last two weeks about how easy it can be to miss the Messiah and how it was easy for them back there to miss Him and sometimes it's easy for us to miss Him. What if the reason we miss Him is because we're still standing on the mountaintop and He's moved on to the next thing that we're supposed to be doing. This is a family service. I'm not going to dig in hard on that grown-ups, but I'm going to let you take it home with you. That one's, that one's free. Um, in our story tonight, though, Peter says, this is it. And it turns out to be the, mo- the moment that God actually steps in and speaks. And, he's, and what He actually says to Peter is, hey, hush, this is my son. Let him talk. It's kind of what God basically tells to Peter. And, and the second it happens, Jesus is standing there again like Clark Kent. He's standing there back in his normal get-up. He's back in his normal clothes again. And, but they're coming down the mountain, and you've got to know that Peter's thinking, okay, that's fine, it doesn't matter now, because now I know. Now I know, and now I can tell everybody. I know so many people that are looking... For Superman, all i got to do is tell them he's Clark Kent. Like, they're the same person. Messiah is Jesus, which is super exciting, right? Now that he knows, now that it's been revealed, they can tell everyone. Except for Mark. Whoops. Oh, man, I just jumped around here. Mark gives us this little detail. Whoops, I meant to go back to that. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen. Jesus tells them not to tell anyone. What? So now they have to keep a secret. And this is kind of confusing because the Messiah's job was to reveal. He was supposed to kind of 
kick down the door and blast in and say, here I am. That's kind of what everybody was expecting. So this had to be confusing to Peter, wondering, did we miss something? Did we get something wrong? Why would we keep this a secret? If Messiah's job was to be revealed, why is he not revealing himself? Peter, James, and John figured out this wasn't the end of the story. There was more on the other side of the mountain. So what they figured out later was that Jesus had more work to do and more important work to do. He had not yet sacrificed himself for you and for me and for you guys, kids. And so when he had died on the cross and he had risen again, then Jesus tells them, now I've finished my work. Now go and tell everyone. Everyone. And we get to be part of that. You guys listening, kids? We get to be part of that. We get to be part of the people that tell everybody else that Jesus and Messiah are the same dude. They're the same guy. And we get to tell everyone. We get to help take the superhero's mask off. So how do we respond to this? And I haven't pulled this word out for a while, and grown-ups, this is more for you. <laughs> but um, our faith is often about tension. Um, you guys know that's one of my favorite words. That we serve a God who is both three and one. And we have to, we have to hold that, that mystery, that tension between the two. That God is fully sovereign and yet gives us a free will. That Jesus is fully God and fully man. That we're saved by faith alone, yet we're commanded to be holy as our Father is holy. That God is both our healer and the one who allows Satan to torment Job. Most of our life is about this tension between two absolutes. And when we get too close to one side or the other is where we get in trouble. Something about our faith is about holding that space, that mystery that lies between two absolutes. The story is kind of like that. So for our response, I want to invite you into the tension that I find in this story. Because the Bible says that if we are Jesus's, if we belong to Jesus, we have the very Spirit of Christ, the very light of Christ in us. Kids, did you know that if you believe in Jesus, you glow? You glow. Paul put it this way. He said, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing such a great treasure. So here's our challenge as we are trying to find this tension between both being this amazing, like glowing follower of Jesus and an ordinary sinner. And we live in that tension. So here's our challenge. Kids, what if you were nice to your siblings for one day? Just as like a way to be like absolutely incredible superhero and be ordinary at the same time? Or what if you were did something really nice for your parents and, and you did it like, I'm going to let out my superhero and do something amazing? Or you, that person at school that you're not normally nice to, what if you were like, I'm just going to be nice to them for one day. I, I know I can't do it every day. I'm not that strong. But I'm just going to let out that light for one day. Grown-ups, you didn't think I was going to let you out. What if you just picked a charity and gave 20 bucks? 
Didn't tell anybody about it. Just did it. Just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be a superhero for a day or more. I'm just gonna do something great and then put it all back into like Clark Kent persona. Or if you want to be really radical, married people, if your spouse has had a rough day and you come home and they've been maybe more verbally rough than they need to be, what if you just decided today I'm going to do something super and you just go, hey, how can I serve you right now? Is there anything I can do for you? And and just decided to let out that that Superman for a minute. You know what will happen if you do that? I'm going to tell you what it will feel like. It will feel like you just did the most sacrificial thing you've ever done and there was no one there to see it. If, if you feel that anger, that retort come up and you're like, you know what, can I serve you? Is there anything I can do for you to bless you? It looks like you've had a rough day. Can I fix dinner? Can I do something? It'll feel, I think it'll be like Peter coming down from the mountain when it feels like everything has changed. And everybody's like, nice time of prayer? And you're like, I cannot believe everybody's acting like the world is the same when I just saw what I saw. When, when you squelch your own anger with goodness, when someone says something mean to you and you feel the retort and you, and you put it down and go, what can I do for you? Can I do something to bless you? You'll feel like you just tucked glory back into an earthen vessel. You'll feel like that was amazing. I just conquered my own anger with goodness. You'll be like Peter coming down like, this changes everything. This is amazing. Try it. Teenagers. You guys in here? What if you woke up one day and thought, I'm just going to engage today. I'm going to stay off all my tech and just engage with my family. I'm just going to do something good for the family. I'm going to hang in. I'll tell you, you'll get one of two responses if you'll do this. Either your parents will do the Peter thing and go, this is it. We're putting up memorials right here and we're just going to stay. I don't know what just happened, but I want it to stay forever. Or they'll be so unused to it, they won't even catch it, and, and they won't engage back. That's a possibility. And after that, just go, you know what? I've, I've, I'm a superhero. I can just put it back in the Clark Kent thing. I don't have to be seen. I don't have to be noticed. I can just stay inside. Or maybe teenagers, when your parents are having that a rough day and they're being kind of extra mean, just go, hey, I'm sorry I haven't engaged much. I've kind of got in my own world. Is there anything I can do to help? They will freak out. It will be like a light bursting out of your chest. Parents, what if, what if when, when your kids don't do their chores, when they're kind of caught in their own little rat run, they don't do their chores and they run off without them? What if you just said, you know what? Sometimes when I'm busy, I forget things too. And just, just let them have this one. And, and don't sit there and burn in, in quiet rage either. Just go, I get busy. Sometimes I forget things when I get busy. And you just do them for them. Don't even bring it up. Just, just give them a blessing that day. And then wrap all that glory back up in a human package. We talked last week about this one, but what if this week you looked in the mirror and you did the truly heroic thing of giving yourself a break? Of just going, you know what? I'm not going to beat myself up today. What if you tried that? Because I've, I've got this philosophy that if you can do good for other people and not do good for you, then the good you're doing for other people is bogus. It's fake. Because we've got, there's, there's, two, there's two metrics for, for how we love other people. There's the standard, which is the standard of Christ. Christ said, go and do likewise. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So 
One standard for our love is, the, is, is Christ. That's one metric. That's where we're supposed to be. The other metric is our capacity for love. Our capacity for love is how much we love ourselves. Jesus said, however much you love yourselves, love your neighbor that much. Because he knows you can't go beyond that capacity. So he says, if you want to know how much you're capable of loving your neighbor, all the way up to the point at which you love yourself. So we have the standard and we have our capacity. And the secret is, if you want to raise your capacity, you have to love yourself more. If you're going to love other people more. If you want to raise your capacity for loving others, the only way to do it is to raise your love and appreciation and value for yourself. Totally not in my notes, but I can't, it just jumped in on me. Um, so, and I'm not talking about narcissism or, you know, thin affirmations in the mirror. You're awesome. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about believing God. God said, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, for you were so worthy of love that he gave his only begotten son. If I, I'm just asking you to believe that. If you'll believe that, that I'm, I'm valuable enough that God gave His only Son for me. I'm worthy enough. I'm loved enough. Lovable enough for that. If I believe that, it raises my, my love for myself and then I can love others more. I can love them up to that point. Anyway, i got to find my place because that wasn't in there. <laughs> I'm not suggesting we do these things all the time. That we become doormats and, and enable bad behavior. I'm just saying, what if this Lent, what if somewhere in this Lent season, we just had our own little personal transfiguration? That we were like, for this moment, I'm just, I'm going to shine. I'm going to let, because Paul said that's in there. That glory is in there. Like a shining light in a jar of clay. And what if we just said, for this moment, in this situation, I've got something mean I want to say, and instead I'm going to have a transfiguration. I'm just going to let the glory out of the jar for this moment and eat this one and do something good for someone.